Glory to Jesus Christ. Glory In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. On the first Sunday of Lent, in 843, yes, 1200-something years ago, after almost a hundred years of conflict, the holy icons depicting our Lord, His Mother, and His friends, the saints, were restored to the Holy Church. This is the beginning of our modern, I say modern, celebration of the Sunday of Orthodoxy. For previous to the 9th century, Great Lent was primarily used for catechesis, especially for the preparation of catechumens for baptism. And the Sundays of Great Lent presented themes for the catechumens, their education, their benefit, and the themes that we hear today in the Epistle and Gospel reflect what the first Sunday of Great Lent was originally a commemoration of. This was the commemoration of the prophets, especially Moses, Aaron, and Samuel. On this day, the catechumen would learn how the prophets foreshadowed the coming of Christ. And somehow, by providence, that is also what the catechumen class today will be about. (laughs) I really do mean providence. It was not planned. This is a reminder to all of us that Great Lent is a time dedicated to the catechumens and to catechesis, not just to your particular inner life, which is absolutely important, but there is the specific office and teaching that is required, that is a part of the season that's built into it liturgically. This is the season of instruction, of praying for and helping catechumens. This is something for us Orthodox Christians to help those along. Today, the Divine Liturgy still contains elements of the traditional Sunday, of the first Sunday of Lent. Especially, you heard it in the readings, in the epistle. What does the epistle talk about? Well, the prophets and those who had gone on before. Moses starting out the epistle. The gospel also suggests that Christians now live in a time when the words of the prophets have been fulfilled. They have access to greater things than the prophets could have ever imagined. After speaking of the faith and sacrifices of the Old Testament righteous, the epistle this morning tells us, And all these, all those who have gone before, though well attested by their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had foreseen something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. The Alleluia verses, if you are scratching your head, and just a note, The Alleluia verses in general are important. If you listen to them at certain seasons or feasts, you'll notice that they match what we're celebrating. They're not just random psalms that somebody chose and just kind of threw them in there because they sounded nice. The Alleluia verses for this morning were Moses and Aaron among his priests and Samuel among them call upon his name. And then the second Alleluia verse, they called upon the Lord and he hearkened unto them. The gospel makes this crystal clear as it presents Jesus 
as the expectation of the prophets, the long-awaited Messiah. First, it is Jesus who finds Philip, saying, follow me. And Philip goes and he finds Nathanael and says to him, we have found the one who Moses in the law and all the prophets wrote. Nathanael, and the father's kind of quibble about this, is he saying something sarcastic? Or is he saying something uh, true? Because our Lord later says he has no guile. So he's not, maybe he's not sarcastic. St. Augustine says, you can go either way, which is very typical of the fathers. Whichever way presents something good for you to glean from the text, go for it. Our Lord sees Nathanael coming and he beholds in Nathanael one without deceit, without guile. Nathanael is struck how do you know me? And Jesus answers him with the revelation of a private moment that Nathanael had had. When you were under the fig tree, I saw you. This harkens back to the fall of Adam and Eve. For what happens when Adam and Eve partake of the tree and they are ashamed? What happens? They cover themselves with leaves. And then what does our Lord Jesus say as he comes into the garden? What's the question? Where are you? Nathaniel here, sitting under the fig tree, encounters our Lord. You can imagine this little glimpse of our Lord. Those times, as I pointed out on expulsion of sitting under the tree, and encouraging you to sit under a tree, maybe in a few more days when it warms up, or if you go outside and bundle up, you might get a little snow on you, and that might wake you up in a different way. But to sit under the tree and encounter our Lord, because our Lord sees us. And this little glimpse, this little bit of enlightenment that Nathaniel received, and that our Lord shares with him, you were looking at me, and I was looking at you. For Nathaniel, this is, seals the deal. This is the Son of God, the King of Israel. And our Lord tells him, because of this small thing, you believe? You shall see greater things than these. He tells him, you will see the heavens open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of of man. The faith of Nathaniel, this foundation, this little mustard seed, is something that we can imitate. To feed these little moments of faith and insight, don't let them go by. Grab onto them, because this is the faith that is able to see the heavens opened, to see the angels of God ascending and descending. But this faith, this insight, this enlightenment that Nathaniel received is built upon the faith of the patriarchs, the prophets, upon Israel, the revelation of God himself to his people. This is the foundation of everything, the Old Testament. And you've probably heard me enough talk about read scripture, read scripture. Well, the church itself today, as it always has assigned readings, but it specifically puts before us during this season Genesis, Proverbs, and Isaiah. 
take up and read, brothers and sisters. St. John Chrysostom commenting upon Nathaniel and his understanding of Old Testament scripture tells us, Beloved, we need much care, much watchfulness to be able to look into the depth of the divine scriptures. For it is not possible to discover their meaning in a careless way or while we are asleep, but there needs close search, earnest prayer, that we may be enabled to see some little way into the secrets of the divine oracles. It is in the reading of the Old Testament. This is not something that we put aside. It is Holy Scripture for us. It is not just an assembly of prophetic passages uh, or nice, enlightening, or um, what do you say, memeable type things. The entire narrative of the Old Testament is something that we need to have within us because our God gave us these particular scriptures for us to be able to find him in them. And in finding him, we also find ourselves. So a simple version of the Old Testament, kind of narrative. The Old Testament depicts for us the schism between heaven and earth and God's continued effort to reunite heaven and earth. The expulsion from paradise, the beginning of that schism. But as soon as there is the expulsion from paradise, our Lord calls Abraham. He guides the patriarchs. He leads them into sojourn in Egypt because of Joseph. He calls Moses and Aaron. They escape from Egypt. They wander in the desert. They're given the tabernacle, the law, God's presence among them. All of these things, God's providence working out to try and heal the division between heaven and earth. This is also true for the conquering the promised land, the voice of the prophets, the anointing of kings, the exile, etc., etc. This past week, the church puts before us in very vivid details, little icons studded throughout the Old Testament. And the gospel this morning brings before us in the image of angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man, Jacob and his vision of the ladder to heaven. For in Jacob's life, if, when we get to Jacob in our reading of Genesis, you're going to scratch your head. Abraham, he's going on the promise. Isaac, makes a little sense. Jacob, once we get to Jacob, from the very beginning, as he comes forth from the womb, he's the one who trips up, right? He's the tricky one. And his entire life is tricky. He tricks his father to get the blessing. So Esau gets, uh, no, doesn't receive the blessing. He escapes and he goes because his mom says, you better get out of here. So he goes off to Mesopotamia, to Syria, and he hangs out with his uncle. Well, the tricky one gets tricked because Laban, his uncle, what is he sees that Jacob has eyes for his daughters. Let's suspend all of our, you know, 21st century expectations here, okay? He's got eyes for Leah and Rachel. 
Well, Laban says, work for me for seven days, seven years, not seven days. Seven days would be okay. Seven years. The Septuagint echoes and actually says week as a way of reminding us of the garden. And the, what, is, what is Adam cursed with? By the sweat of his brow, he's going to have to actually work. Jacob works, works real hard. And Laban uh, says, now you can marry a daughter of mine. And Jacob's had eyes for Rachel the whole time. She's the pretty one. The text says that Leah looks sickly in her eyes. I don't know exactly what that is. I need to search a little deeper into scripture to understand. It's not who he desired. Well, lo and behold, the next morning he says, oh, it's Leah. It's not Rachel. And so he goes to Laban and Laban says, well, our custom here is that you have to marry the, the younger one first, not the older one. So he works for seven more years and then earns gains Rachel. Now, as you're reading this text and you're wondering, what in the world am I supposed to get out of this? I don't want to marry my cousin. I'm not going to work for 14 years to get the cousin that I want. And I got a bonus along the way that I don't regard as a bonus. But you see in Jacob, God has promised that he is of the seed. He is the one who is going to be in the lineage to bring about the end of the schism between heaven and earth. And in the canon of St. Andrew, we learn about Jacob and how to read Holy Scripture, to do what St. John Chrysostom encourages us by closely searching and discovering the secrets of the divine oracles. St. Andrew of Crete tells us, the ladder which the great patriarch Jacob saw of old is an example of my soul of approach through ascent, action and of ascent and knowledge. If then thou dost wish to live rightly in action and knowledge and contemplation, be thou made new. In privation, Jacob the patriarch endured the burning heat by day and frost by night, making daily gains of sheep and cattle, shepherding, wrestling, and serving to win his two wives. By the two wives, understand action and knowledge in contemplation. Leah is action, for she had many children. And Rachel is knowledge, for she endured great toil. For without toil, O oh my soul, neither action nor contemplation will succeed. Before Jacob ran off, to Mesopotamia and spent many years, he spends more than 14 years actually, with his uncle laboring, as the text tells us, or St. Andrew's summary, by the heat of the day, by the frost of the night, wrestling and shepherding sheep and cattle and goats. Jacob receives a vision. This is the vision of the latter. And instead of a ladder, don't think of a ladder like what you are thinking in your head that you put up on the side of a house and you get up onto the roof. This is a ziggurat. This is a temple. As you can see in the temple, right? You're looking from the side. It looks like it has steps. This is the ascent. This is the presence of God. This is where the angels of God ascend up to heaven and descend down to the earth. For Jacob himself, the heavens are opened. And he sees, even though 
his life is going to be topsy-turvy, that he is going to work, he is going to toil, he's going to shepherd, he's going to wrestle, he's going to serve in order to win action. That means the gaining of the virtues. And knowledge and contemplation, that means prayer. For as St. Andrew tells us, without toil and trying to actually root out your passions and gaining virtues, and in prayerful contemplation of God, you will not succeed. You will not ascend. The heavens will not open. The angels will not ascend and descend. It is later in Jacob's life as he's coming back and he realizes he has to encounter his brother Esau, whom, as you can imagine, it's been 20 years. Brothers don't tend to forget things. Family doesn't tend to forget things. 20 years he's coming and returning home and Jacob is afraid. And before he encounters his brother Esau, He has a whole elaborate plan to make sure that Esau will not kill him. He's going to send out all the stuff. This is all gifts for you, Esau. It's like stage one, stage two. Then he's going to put all of his kids in front of him. So you see how my children, please don't kill me. He has the vision. And this is the famous vision. If you're thinking of Jacob and visions where Jacob is dreaming and he's wrestling with a person, with an angel. And Jacob, as we know, has been wrestling and suffering and toiling for years. When he puts his mind to something, he's going to do it. And he pins this angel, because the angel, it's daylight's coming, and the angel wants to leave. And Jacob is telling him, what's your name? And the angel tells him, you are not Jacob anymore, but you are Israel. And he touches his thigh and gives him a limp for the rest of his life. For like Jacob, we, in our struggling to gain the virtues that lead us to Christ, in struggling in prayer, in struggling with God, It's going to to transform us. It's going to even change possibly how we walk. People are going to notice. This is where St. Andrew of Crete tells us, Be watchful, O my soul. Be full of courage like Jacob the great patriarch, that you may acquire action with knowledge and be named Israel, the mind that sees God. So shalt thou reach by contemplation the innermost darkness and gain great merchandise. We seek to learn about God in order that we may live, not just so that we know. The reading of the Old Testament, the studying of the Old Testament, is to open to us our own soul, the toil that we need to attend to, to prepare the ground for our Lord. To be, as St. Andrew tells us, in acting and contemplating that we are made new. This is the wedding between heaven and earth. This is the ladder where we see angels ascending and descending. 
where the heavens themselves are opened to us. This is what the church gives us in this great fast. Seek the life of virtue and prayer like Jacob of old. It is hard toil. It is a wrestling match, sometimes even with God and not just with the sheep around you. But it is how we see the greater things of Christ. It is how we make our way to heaven. This is ultimately the triumph of orthodoxy. The restoration of wayward earth to the glories of heaven. The restoration of the icons, you brothers and sisters, to the courts of heaven. It is the salvation of the people of God. It is the glory of God amongst his people. Glory to Jesus Christ. Glory to God.